Bandwidth for Priority One Podcast is brought to you by Playa Escondida. Ever dreamed of visiting Planet Risa? Well, Playa Escondida is the ultimate beach resort excursion. Visit PlayaEscondida.com to book your ultimate vacation getaway. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Captains, you're listening to episode 176 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Thursday, May 29th, 2014, live and available for download or streaming as of Monday, June 2nd, 2014 at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Tony. I'm Jace. And in the recording and broadcast booth is our audio engineer, Skiffy. Hello. And back for a special one-time limited engagement, Mr. James Lee. It's good to be back. Hey, hey, where you been, brother? Uh, I have a number of things that have kept me from attending the show. Start start at the top of the list and work your way down. Well, the biggest thing was a change of jobs. So I Ooh. finally got out of my old job, which many of you heard me say I was grossly overworked and underappreciated and all that kind of stuff. I am out of there. I am Yay. in a new job that is amazing. I mean amazing. I'm now a data conversion specialist for a company here on the Central Coast, which is being known as the Google of the Central Coast, and we truly have that whole culture and attitude, like we have scooters and masseuses and ping pong tables, and <laughs> I'm not even joking. This None of this is exaggerated. We have Nerf gun wars <laughs> in my department. Awesome. It's just completely awesome. Yes! It's truly, truly amazing, and I love it. The other thing that was happening during that whole transition is I had some fairly moderate health issues going on uh, that I was seeing the doctor about, and um, we've gotten a lot of them worked out. It turns out I had some allergy things going on it looks like i might be and i won't even know till monday for sure they have the panels back but i have to go back for my follow-up on monday it looks like i may be gluten intolerant Ta-da! Mm. yes luckily i have a couple friends that are gluten intolerant including elijah's wife who mm-hmm. can give me some good tips on how to live gluten-free if that becomes the case so cool that's been a plague on me for a little bit but we've got that under control currently and of course this is some big and insider news here, boys oh, and girls. Oh, oh, oh. Behind the scenes with the executive producer, Mr. Elliot Tan, I have been working mm-hmm. on creating a new project. That's right, a new podcast for all you crazy fans out there <laughs> who love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's right, boys and girls. I have ah. put together a show called oh. The MCU Watch, The Marvel Cinematic Universe Watch, where we are going to cover all the movies and TV shows, starting with, of course, the beginning of Marvel Studios with Iron Man 2008, moving mm. all the way forward through today's TV shows and new movies and speculation about what is to come in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Questions? Excellent. Yes, of course there are. No, we are not going to cover the entire comic book universe because that's just way too broad a subject. We are sticking to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Will we reference comics for things that are coming and reference material? Of course we will. But we are not going to go into the whole mm-hmm. universe and this and bending and all. It's just too much. But it should be a lot of fun. We will have a new host. Well, I'm trying to get a new host. One of the guys that I work with has uh, graciously volunteered, although he's having a struggle right now getting a schedule together because he's like you, Tony. He's got kids and the job and, of course, everything else. So, oh, yeah. But if he can get that juggled, lame. <laughs> we'll have a host uh, with me doing that and maybe even another. The great thing is about where I work, there's plenty of geek flags flying. So sooner or later, I'm going to mm-hmm. find one or two hosts that can join me on the show. So, yes, that's yet to come. We do not have a start date i know that's going to be another question um we don't yet like i said we're still trying to get everyone's schedules together we do have an outline we do have the first couple episodes written up we just got to get the ball rolling with the people and that's always the hardest part yeah elliot talked to you you guys started talking about this at least a couple months ago right like was it Marchish, Aprilish. Yeah. Yes, this has been going on for a while. For reference for everybody out there, Elliot and I started talking about our other Priority One production, Guard Frequency, in May, and we didn't record our first episode until December. Right. So pre-production for these types of things, especially if it's a labor of love, takes a long time to get right. 
And so it's a tough thing and a long process, but happy you're on board with it, James, and yeah. expanding the Priority One Empire. <laughs> yeah, we'll have Priority One Productions. We'll now have Priority One, Guard Frequency, and the MCU Watch. We are growing leaps and bounds, boys and girls. I will be doing tonight's show, of course, I'm here, and I will be doing next week's show of Priority right. One, and these will be my last two shows with Priority One. Of course, you know, maybe the occasional drop-in, you know, like Tony does. Yeah, just like I quit Priority One. Exactly. <laughs> the occasional drop-in. You cannot escape <laughs> Gravity Well 3. <laughs> Gravity Well 3. Nice. That's right. Evasive maneuvers have no effect. Well, I can't wait because I love Batman and Superman. I can't wait to see on those guys. <laughs> you know, you just might hear something like how terrible they are on my show and how awful the new outfit for Batman is that they've shown. Yeah, you, you might hear some stuff about the DC Universe in contrast anyway. It won't be covering a lot of it, but you might hear some comments. Unlike the DC Universe, the Marvel Universe, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. <laughs> the Marvel Universe has Iron Man, and that's That's, that's a pretty win. much all you need. There you go. That alone it's is an epic win. win. That's an easy one. Well, James, tell us what we have in store this week. This week, Captains, we trek out one of the most inspiring crowdfunded successes ever. In Stow News, we'll cover Season 9, Dead Blog 22, and that's about it. It's kind of a slow week in the news, sorry boys and girls, but with a shortage of STO news, we might as well tell you how to straighten up and fly right with another installment of Field Notes. And of course, as always, we'll open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming from you, our listeners. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. You can continue to support Priority One with real-world donations and help us to reach our monthly financial goals. We're all volunteers, and we could use your help with purchasing new equipment, our hosting fees, and alleviating travel expenses when we cover conventions on location throughout the year. Thanks to all of those of you who already have donated and those who continue to provide support month after month. Captains, don't forget that PriorityOnePodcast.com offers more than just podcasts. In his latest Role Player's Guide to the Galaxy entry, Varzik gives you some tips in bringing your Romulan Republic character to life in Star Trek Online. Check out this blog and many others only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. And lastly, Captains, before we move on with the show, we invite you to keep an eye on our social media platforms like Facebook.com slash PriorityOnePodcast or on Twitter at StowPriorityOne. Well, Captains, another crowdfunding project reaches for the stars, starting from classrooms right here on Earth. So let's trek it out. Jim, what place is I don't know. Then let's trek it out. All right, everybody, I need you to take a minute and finish this stanza. Butterfly in the sky. I can fly twice as high. All right. Now, if you didn't answer with take a look, it's in a book. Yeah, then you can just get out, because we can't be friends anymore. Oh, all right, okay, 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 hang on, hang on. I'll give you one last chance to stay in my good graces. Head on over to Kickstarter, search on Reading Rainbow, and chip in five bucks. Star Trek fans should know that before LeVar Burton was Geordie LaForge, he was LeVar Burton, host of the PBS series Reading Rainbow. And after he got done being Geordie, he continued as the host of the acclaimed children's series. Produced from 1983 until 2006, with reruns airing until 2009, it is the third longest-running children's show in PBS history. Only Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood lasted longer. But while Sesame Street continues production, and Fred Rogers' legacy lives on in the animated series Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, Reading Rainbow went dormant from 2009 to 2012. It came back in a big way as an iOS app, unveiled to great fanfare at the Worldwide Developers Conference, a.k.a. Apple Prom. Within 36 hours, it was the number one kids app on iTunes. Now LeVar and his team have set their sights a tad higher. Their mission? To bring Reading Rainbow to every single classroom in America. They need a million bucks to develop interactive online reading and educational materials to entice malleable little minds from sea to shining sea into becoming lifelong readers. Literacy is one of the keys to long-term prosperity and productivity of a nation, and underserved and underfunded classrooms in disadvantaged neighborhoods is one of the persistent causes of the educational divide plaguing this country. And a fancy website supposed to fix this? Seems like kind of a lofty goal for a guy whose biggest claim to fame is playing a blind dude in a 1980s space show. Yeah, no problem. The internet sent Commander LaForge's million bucks on the first day. By the time you download this podcast, there will still be about four weeks left to go on the campaign. And as we record this, they've raised over two and a quarter million dollars. But more importantly, in just those two days, over 50,000 people have jumped on to make this project happen. And the best part of the Kickstarter site is the reaction video LeVar Burton recorded when they hit the goal. 
You'll choke up a little bit, I promise you. But you don't have to take my word for it. How cool is that? It is awesome. Super cool. Uber cool. And I find it very funny that I just literally put up on, I don't remember if it was Twitter or if it was Facebook, it might have been one or both, they had one where it had LeVar Burton in his shorty outfit holding an M60 firing and it said, Reading Rambo. And I put it up. And he's killing it too, man. A million dollars in the first day. And you guys have to watch the fundraising video. LeVar Burton is like the best salesman ever. I mean, the man just like looks at the camera and you go like, yes, Mr. Burton. Yes, Mr. Burton. But at the very end, there's a cameo at the end of the video. Oh, that cracks me out. Oh, my God. We're not going to spoil it here because you have to go watch it. It's just fantastic. You know, a lot of stars will lend their name to things and they'll say, oh, that's kind of a cool thing. I'll let you, I'll record a PSA for you or whatever like that. No, (laughs) LeVar Burton believes in this. He's devoted a good chunk of his adult life, virtually all of his adult life to this uh, endeavor. So um, congratulations on blowing the goal right out of the water on the first day. Wow. I've been an aficionado of Kickstarter for several years now, and this is already one of the most exciting projects I've watched. Oh, yeah. To hit such a large goal in half a day is unbelievable. I'm involved in a little project you might have heard of, Card Frequency. Pretty good show. You should check it out. Oh, yeah. The game that we're covering over there was also crowdfunded, and right now it's sitting at about $45 million, but that's been raised over the course of a year and a half. I mean, if Reading Rainbow keeps up this pace, they'll do it in a month and a half (laughs) so it's incredible and it's for a great cause and the guy has clearly the track record to say he's going to deliver on this promise so kudos to lamar burton and the team over at reading rainbow this is a a well-deserved win for you guys they have already announced while the official stretch goals for the project aren't up yet that at a minimum each additional million after the first will get them into 1500 more classrooms totally free of charge to the schools so it's, it won't be just the ones that are absolutely the poorest but only you know the, the slightly disadvantaged are going to have a chance at this too right wow fantastic just amazing if you haven't chipped in yet just chip in because the more people that help out and more people that pitch into this the more kids get access to what was a huge part of me being a big reader in my youth. Reading Rainbow was one of the shows that you just watched. All right. Have you discovered something that you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? Send it over to us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's check out what happened in Stow News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Season 9, Devlog 22, is pretty much the biggest development and the only development this week. The Rises Summer Event gets back into swing starting June the 5th, and it runs until July 17th, 2014. As is tradition, Cryptic has expanded upon the existing environment on Risa and added some fun new twists to the holiday map. Some of them have been already rumored, but we'll go through and confirm them all for you. Mr. James Lee, would you care to take the first one? Swimsuits. Check. Mr. Jace, would you uh, please take the next one? Hoverboard. <coughs> uh, ahem. Uh, powerboard races. Check. New pet feather monkeys? Check. Rising luxury cruiser? Check. Rising duty officers? Check. Okay, what? what? Emergency power to party? What is this? We'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. Okay, Mr. Jace, uh, go ahead. Next. Sandcastle building? Check. What? Uh, what? Sandcastle building? Okay, all right. What, okay, we're going to have to break this down. What is this business? A couple important things to note. Swimwear will not be wearable on duty. So as we've speculated, they will not be wearable in missions. Now, whether or not social zones count as missions, I wouldn't bet on it. Smart Money says these costumes will be restricted to Risa. Start saving your Lolanot favors, kids. That Picard mankini ain't buying itself. The Picard mankini. I love it. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, The new pet feather monkeys are apparently following the same mechanic as the exotic birds of last year. Buy one, raise one, sell it for medical experiments, uh, I mean for science. <clears throat> the hoverboard races will be the way to get the uh, tags you need, as opposed to the eggs you had to gather during the Horgon hunt during last year's bird hunt. Based on some forum chatter, we think that probably the bird hunt will be back too. At least the ornithologist will be there to turn in any birds you have in your inventory, and the eggs will be available for purchase in the Lolanot Favor Store. The dance party is back as well, and the Horgon Hunt. The floater races will be back for your pearl gathering needs. 
and sandcastles. Grab a pail and shovel, hit the beach, and test your architectural skills. The more castles you build, the more room the amateurs will give you to practice your craft. Once an hour, an aeronologist will deliver Lulunaut favors to those titans of constructions who complete their structures. Now, for those of you asking, what is an aeronologist? Don't worry, we've got you covered. The blog post says it's a sand geologist, but to me, it sounds like either a guy who studies stadiums or a completely made-up word. So, who's right, cryptic or Priority One? Well, as you would expect, the crack team here at Priority One went to work and got the hard data. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the word arenas means sandy or gritty, first appearing in 1664. And according to Wiktionary.org, the suffix ology is often added to an ordinary English word to create a name for a possibly non-existent field of study. So yes, an aeronologist is someone who studies sand, and yes, it's a totally made-up word, so we're both right. Uh, why do we care? Well, quite simply, there just wasn't enough of anything to cover in Stone News this week, uh, so it's all Cryptic's fault. That's why we're talking about it. We've got links in the show notes to this uh, in-depth study of the origins of the word aeronologist for you, should you care to check that out. Shuttle Weekend Event. This weekend still ran its first weekend shuttle event, offering bonus marks for Atmospheric Assault and the shuttle version of the Vault 5-player event. However, they also have transmogrified three of our regular Starship queues into shuttle content. Storming the Spire, No Wind Scenario, and the Fed KDF Fleet Alert were all available this weekend with double the normal marks and rewards as a 20-shuttle queued event. Awesome! And we've saved the best for last. Nerve Tonics Unleashed! According to Captain Gecko, the Nerve Tonic switch was inadvertent. They were doing an item attribute pass on quest necessary objects, almost certainly part of the database hygiene that Mr. D'Angelo would champion, and because the Nerve Tonic is a quest item in the Davidian Arc mission Night of the Comic, it got included. Al Rivera has taken to the Twitters to assure us, well, mostly Cookie, that this will get fixed. <laughs> of all the rants that we've ever done on Priority One, this is the one that gets addressed <laughs> the fastest. I mean, the turnaround time between a rant and I mean, Elijah went on for weeks and weeks and weeks about how he wanted the the triad, you know, the, the and, and to be able to you know, have to get different you know parties together to to achieve objectives. And then they gave it to him and he complained about it. But there was like a long span. That's because you know, it's cookie. The complaint and the, I told you it's cookie. I, she's quite persuasive. And, yeah, exactly. She's quite persuasive. Yeah. She gets on. And, and I'm and sad she she's missing this. Cute and turns on her voice and everyone's like, oh, let's fix it for her. She is cute and she loves the game. And so I'm I'm really sad she's not here for this week because she's been uh, on uh, on. Our uh, internal chats and our emails and everything saying how she's really excited about the the summer event. So, yeah, it's, I mean, I, she's gonna have to hold it in for like two whole weeks. This is her thing. She loves she loves these these social maps. Next up is our third installment of our new field note series on defense with Professor Jace giving us the basics on how bridge and duty officers can help keep your starship in one piece. I'm sure there is an answer. Well, better get some facts. Hello, Captains. Welcome to our third installment of the all-new, all-different field notes. This is part three of our series on defense. If you'll recall, or if you're just tuning in, in the first segment, we talked about your captain and all the captain abilities and skills and traits that can contribute to keeping your ship and crew safe and sound all in one piece out in space. Last time, we talked about the actual ship gear, the nuts and bolts, the consoles, the shield generators, the engines, all of those bits and bobs that power your ship, get it where you need it to go, and most of all, in this context, protect it. This time, we're gonna talk about the crew. And by that, we mean bridge officers and duty officers, specifically your bridge crew for your ship and your active duty space duty officers. So let's start off with bridge officers, as those are sort of your player character, non-player characters, right? Those are somebody that you customize, that you name, you handpick and select them. These can be your department heads, they can be your special characters that you've picked up through assignments, unique bridge officers, folks you got through diplomacy, folks you got through featured episodes, that sort of thing. Before we jump into their skills, we have their traits. 
and that may help determine if you really want to eke every last bit out of the potential of your bridge officer slots what races you choose. I will give a caveat, most of the traits are not so impressive that they're going to make or break your build. So if you're someone who is more on the cannon or RP side, or you already have some bridge officers that you really like, you don't have to throw them out and get new ones based on these suggestions. I doubt anyone would based on my suggestions anyway, but I felt like I should say that without further ado. There's only a handful of space traits available for bridge officers, far less than for captains. So this will be fairly brief. Uh, the first one you have is efficient. Similar to the efficient captain trait, it adds a minor boost, only about 1.8% to all of your power levels, all four power levels. And that's available on liberated board bridge officers. That's available on Saurians and that's available on Lethians. All liberated Borg have it that I'm aware of. Uh, Lethians and Saurians, you have to check. It can be fairly rare. I've gotten lucky from time to time getting Saurians fairly inexpensively. You don't strictly have to get purple quality, very rare quality ones. It can be on blue quality ones, I believe. And that's fine because you're not really concerned about their ground traits and they can't have more than one space trait because there aren't any more available to them. So it's not an issue for space bridge officers. The second trait is the leadership trait, which adds an increase to your rate of subsystem repair and hull repair. Again, it's a fairly small one, but it is nice to have. They have gone back and forth in different incarnations and seasons and patches with whether multiples of these can stack. So it's always good to do a reality check on the forums or on Wiki beforehand. As of right now, I am only running one leadership trait just because I don't want to have to tinker with it or deal with it later if it stops stacking again or if it's disproven that it stacks or whatever. No need to go that deep into it. But if you have humans on board, check them out. They can have this leadership trait. Now, efficient and leadership do not come in basic, standard, and superior levels. Some traits you'll see basic subterfuge, subterfuge or improved subterfuge, or basic operative, and so on. Uh, leadership and efficient, you either have it or you don't. So no need to worry that your leadership is not as good as somebody else's. If your bridge officer has leadership, they're good to go. And leadership is only found on humans currently. If you're on the KDF side, through marauding tier four, you can get access to a human bridge officer. That is how I got a Nausicaan bridge officer myself for a, a more damage-focused trait that they get called pirate, which we'll talk about at another time. But it is still accessible, it's just a little bit harder. All right, a lot harder. But, eh, marauding's great. So if you're KDF, you should be doing lots and lots of marauding anyway, it's awesome. Finally, you have the subterfuge and infiltrator traits. These are available on Romulan and Reman bridge officers. So if you're a Romulan character, regardless of who you're allied with, easy. If you're a KDF or Federation player, you will need to look around in your fleet embassy holding as some of the officers available there will have these traits. Now you're going to be limited based on what division they are, what class they are, how many of them you can slot. These do stack so if you're looking to use them you could potentially fill however many slots are available depending on whether it's science engineering or so forth and you know if you already have other guys you like. But again, these are fairly minor, and Subterfuge and Infiltrator, their primary focus are not defensive abilities. Infiltrator really is more about your cloaking ability. It gives you a boost to your damage when you're decloaking. It gives you a boost to your stealth when you're cloaked, it, but it also does have a passive bonus of 3.8% to your defense. Subterfuge, similarly, in addition to its bonus to stealth and decloak damage, it also gives a flat bonus, passive bonus to defense, which is similar. Those aren't huge. Defense past a certain point is not really gonna benefit you as we've previously discussed too much outside of PVP. Enemies don't have extremely pumped accuracy where you need to counterman that with a very high enhanced defense. However, it can't hurt. And if you see that you already have these guys kicking around in your officer pool, might as well use them. Or if you have more space bucks than cents, 
you can go out and get yourself a couple. But the traits are really the smallest part of this whole puzzle. Let's get into the real meat. Bridge officer abilities. So we'll talk again about tactical first. They have the fewest defensive abilities, unsurprisingly. You'll hear it again and again from me. For a tactical officer, the best defense is a strong offense, but they do have a few. Tactical team. Now, tactical team is something that anybody who can slot it is probably going to want it. It's a really nice ability. It gives not only boosts to your damage, and it not only gives you damage-related boosts, it also automates your shield distribution. So if you're taking damage to a particular shield facing, it automatically begins balancing your shields to give more power to that facing. This eliminates the need to hit your arrow keys or have part of your spacebar macro be auto-distribute shields. Anytime tactical team is up, and it is possible running two copies of it, or as we'll talk about with duty officers, running just one copy along with some con officers, you can get by with almost 100% uptime. The next are two of your attack patterns, attack pattern Delta and attack pattern Omega. Delta will debuff your attackers, which will indirectly reduce damage. So we've seen a few types of things. Attack pattern Delta, in addition to debuffing your enemies, which is an indirect defense, right, will give you a boost to your damage resistance. Now, attack pattern Delta tends to be more of a tanking style attack pattern, and we'll, we'll see later that there's duty officers to support that. Attack pattern Omega gives you a boost to resistance and also immunity to control effects. So it keeps you from being tractor beamed or lets you break out of a tractor, that sort of thing. So those are your defensive tactical abilities. Not a lot to worry about. You're mostly going to be using offensive powers in those slots. Moving on to science, that's the next tier up. They have basically four. They have a lot of utility powers besides that that you could call indirect defense, but we're not going to go that route. We're going to talk about hazard emitters. gives you a big hull regeneration, a little bit of damage resistance, and it gets rid of any hazard debuffs. The biggest one is the plasma burn effect. If you have plasma on you eating away your hull and you're just watching your hull drop lower and lower, hazard emitters. I almost never fly without hazard emitters. It is crucial. The Borg use plasma. The Romulans use plasma. There's other effects at this clear that are it's invaluable to have it. Polarized hull. This one's also very popular. It gives you a large amount of damage resistance and will temporarily make you immune to tractor beams. Any PvP player worth their salt is going to have either Attack Pattern Omega or Polarized Hull or both. Many people like to run it regardless of that. Science Team. With the recent improvements to the team abilities where they don't lock each other out on cooldown, I love to fly with Science Team. It is a big boost to your shield repair, buffs all your science skills if you use other science powers, which are pretty fun, and it will clear off a lot of science debuffs like viral matrices and that sort of thing. Transfer Shield Strength is the last one that is a direct defensive or healing ability. This also gives a large shield regen and a small shield damage resistance buff. The nice thing about this one is you can use it on someone else, which is also true of some of these other abilities too. I'm focusing on your ability to defend your own ship more than healing and support abilities, but that is something to keep in mind. Science Team Transfer Shield Strength, Hazard Emitters, can all be used on your allies as well, which is pretty awesome. Uh, hazard emitters, I know Cookie is especially fond of. She's a big team player in that regard, and she likes, as she calls it, inceptioning people with it, but that's neither here nor there. Finally, engineering. Now, engineering bridge officers have more defensive abilities than science and tactical combined. That's really the bulk of what we've got here. Emergency power to auxiliary. This is going to boost your aux power levels, which in turn will boost the effect of all the other healing powers you use that scale with auxiliary power. So most of those science powers we just talked about, hazard emitters, boosted. Transfer shield strength, boosted. So emergency power to aux is pretty nice for that. A little indirect. Emergency power to shields. This is straightforward. It's going to boost your shield power level, your shield repair rate, and give you shield damage resistance can't go wrong with this. As soon as my ship is able to, as I'm leveling up on a new character, I put on emergency power to shields, and as soon as I can, I put in a second copy so I can keep it rotating and just constantly channel power to the shields. Really helps. Then you have engineering team. Just like with science and tactical team, it's great to have them all if you can squeeze them in. They don't interfere with each other. 
engineering team will give you a hull heel, a buff to your engineering skills, which can help you subsequently with additional healing, and it will cleanse off engineering debuffs. Next up, auxiliary power to the emergency battery, aka aux to bat. This is going to divert your auxiliary power to your weapon shields and engines. We're not going to get into some of the more complicated uses of this that involve specific duty officers right now, but you can reroute your aux power and get a direct boost to your shields, so I am going to class this as something that can directly boost your defensive abilities. It's a little quirky, specific ways you need to use it to be effective, but it's definitely a solid power in and of itself. Aux to dampeners. This is going to give you kinetic resistance, so mostly against mines and torpedoes. A buff to movement, which is nice, get you in position, which can also be an indirect defense. And it's going to make you immune to repels and disables. Any immunity, obviously, is going to be beneficial for your defense. And auxiliary to the structural integrity field. Another hull heal and a pretty solid damage resistance boost. So you see, already, we have almost as many abilities as the other two combined. And we're not done. Extend shields. Target friend gets a small shield regeneration and a large shield damage resistance boost. And finally, if you will, the piece de resistance, reverse shield polarity. This will actually cause incoming energy damage to heal your shields. This is where the resilient shield array that I talked about before comes into play. Because for reverse shield polarity, you actually want to be getting hit. But normal shields still let 10% of that damage through to your hull. The rest of it's going to be healing your shields, but you don't want too much of that going through to your hull uh, if you've already taken heavy enough damage that you're hitting an O'Shillelagh button like RSP. So keep that in mind, but reverse shield polarity, if you have room for it, is excellent. And finally, aceton beams. So this is going to reduce the damage dealt by your target's energy weapon and also damage them when they use energy weapons. So this is another one that is a little bit indirect. It basically screws up their weapon systems so that it damages them and does less damage to you. So it's on the fence, but it definitely reduces incoming damage if the target's attacking you. So we'll throw it in here. It's really more of a utility power, but if you've got this room for it and you want to play around with it, I don't normally run this, but it is one of the few higher level engineering abilities that you can get trained right from the skill trainer, which is kind of beneficial. Other ones you either have to get trained by a captain or you have to train it if you're an engineer with the right skills or you have to find a bridge officer that already has the abilities. So that's an overview of what traits and skills for your bridge officers will help you with the defense of your ship. Honestly, in most cases, as long as you have a good set of weapons and a good set of weapon consoles and your tactical slots, other than your attack patterns and tactical team have some pretty good abilities, you can probably put out enough damage to take care of business in any single player content, as long as you can stay alive. So we've really, at this point, given you almost all the tools you need to get through most areas of the game without blowing up. However, we'll take it a little further. Last but not least is your duty officers. You can put up to five active space duty officers into play. Six if you have unlocked access to it with a fleet spire holding. And I'm just going to go through a highlight reel. There's a lot of these that directly or indirectly contribute to defense. I'm going to talk about a few of the most popular or the most common or the most easily attained. And then I'm going to solicit some feedback from you guys about what you like to use duty officers for. And we'll talk about that next week. So first off, you have tactical con officers. There's con officers that can reduce your cooldowns on evasive maneuvers, tactical team, or your attack patterns. So that's going to let you use these defensive beneficial abilities more frequently or allow you to slot more abilities by reducing the cooldown far enough that you don't need two copies of an attack pattern or you don't need two copies of tactical team, which is awesome. You can sort of sacrifice some of your duty officer slots to free up more bridge officer slots. It's a little bit of a trade-off type of game. You got shield distribution officers. These give you a chance to regenerate shields if you're hit immediately after using the Brace for Impact Captain ability. So if you're using Brace for Impact, you're probably taking incoming damage, so you have a pretty good shot of triggering this proc effect. I used to use this a lot on my original character as it was a pretty easy to attain duty officer in a blue or purple quality 
Next up, we have security officers. This is a special case. I mentioned that attack pattern Delta can be used as a tanking ability. In this case, there's a version of the security officer that allows attack pattern Delta to increase your threat generation to keep enemies focused on you. That's a little more advanced if you're trying to go the route of a tanking build where you want to take the flak instead of your friends taking the flak or to help you on defensive type missions where you have to escort a ship, which we don't see a lot of in this game anyway. Friendly ships don't really get destroyed or they just get neutralized mostly. But it's a cornerstone of some types of tanking builds, so I thought I'd mention it. Next up is a big one, the damage control engineer. These reduce the cooldown on any emergency power to X abilities. So like emergency power to auxiliary, emergency power to weapons, emergency power to shields. These are the cornerstone of something called the Drake build. Uh, other people may know it as other, under other names, but it essentially allows you to use only a few engineering slots to get 100% uptime on your emergency power abilities. So some ships like escorts that don't have a lot of slots for you to duplicate and have say double emergency power to weapons and double emergency power to shields can use damage control engineers to mitigate that. Fabrication engineers will increase the duration of your reverse shield polarity. That's a hard one to get. They're very expensive on the exchange. They came in one of the duty officer packs that was sold a while back and they're not widespread, but it's a very nice duty officer. Warp core engineer. This is a nice one to have. It doesn't stack, so you only need one of them. And I, I would look for one and just upgrade it when you get the chance or when you have some money or see a good deal on one. These give a bonus to all power levels whenever you use an emergency power skill. So you see the kind of synergies you could get here if you use some damage control engineers and a warp core engineer and a couple different emergency power to X abilities you could be getting all kinds of boosts to your power levels. It's really nice. I use that in several of my builds. Highly recommended, especially if you have an extra slot you don't know what you're doing with yet. Finally is the technician. This technician allows you to reduce the cooldown of all your bridge officer abilities when you use auxiliary power to the batteries. Now, that build has been talked about in a previous field notes before I started doing this. I'm not gonna go into it in depth here, but three technicians of either blue or preferably purple very rare quality are basically what make or break the aux to bat build. Now the aux to bat isn't the end all and be all but it is a, it's an easy way to boost all your power levels and get a lot of bridge officer abilities into a ship without having to really agonize over what's going to fit. It doesn't directly increase your damage output and boost your survivability it indirectly does it by boosting some of your other power levels, but also allowing you to have more of these bridge officer abilities, potentially more defensive ones and offensive ones. So that covers the basics. Like I said, just the highlights of defensive duty officers. There are many. And so that brings us to this week's community question. I would love to hear what your suggestions are to your fellow players or just what you like to use as your active space duty officers. Do you have the perfect, flawlessly min-maxed, carefully crafted millions off the exchange and dozens of lockboxes and duty officer packs opened cadre that carries you to victory with your elite deeps? Or do you have a cool assortment of what you got through DOF missions and handpicked because they have funny names? Tell me about your duty officer roster. You can respond to this community question on our Facebook page, the show post for this show on PriorityOnePodcast.com, or in the show post on the STO forums. One final thing before I leave you today, a little bit of speculation about the Rycian duty officers that have been announced. We hear we're getting helm officers, geologists, and entertainers with all new unique active roster abilities like Rycian drift, tectonics expert, and emergency power to party. So I would guess that the Helm Officer for Rycian Drift maybe is going to give us an ability sort of like the way the frozen boots work on the ground, where we can go at a faster rate, but it sort of artificially tweaks how our momentum works. So you tail drift when you're turning in space. You already can do this in some of the ships if you have a good turn rate to mass ratio, but I'm guessing it enhances that in some way, which could be entertaining may even help some builds with uh, getting your nose on target. The tectonics expert, I'm going to say that may spawn uh, magma vents in ground combat or 
cause some sort of quake effect, maybe a knockback or a, a knockdown on enemies within an area. I'm curious about that one. And, well, I agree with Tony about emergency power to party. It's probably going to do an enhanced kind of party ball, party poppers, so, something along those lines. They'll have something cute and funny and borderline annoying for us to enjoy, no doubt. So thanks for tuning in for part three of Field Notes on Defense. Tune in during our next Field Notes in a couple of weeks, and you will hear not only will we announce the all-new name for Field Notes based on your submissions and our internal discussions, but we may also have a special guest if we can make it happen. But you won't know unless you listen next time. In the meantime, let's open hailing frequencies and see what you had to say about last week's episode in our feedback segment. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Feedback for episode 175, Graphic Violence. Community questions. What is your opinion of the assignment of Robert Horsey to direct Star Trek III? Hmm. Do you agree with Elijah and Tony that it's a travesty in the making? Or with Rogue Jabba that we should wait and see? Well, let's go down and see what the crowd says here. I'll just interject that Lassiter Speller shared a blog post via Facebook with many interesting points taken directly from Orsi's own words, which we'll link in the show notes, and it's also on our Facebook page for last week's episode. Mm, yes, nothing like being hoist on your own petard. Mm-hmm. But Rogue Jawa had words for me and Elijah. Rebuttal, he says. Let me just say I despise Orsi for what he said to the fan base. It was a poor way to handle criticism. I was not apologizing for him at all in my article. This is actually a beautiful opportunity if you think about it. The burden of proof is entirely on him. He gave us all of these excuses as to why the scripts were written the way they were. He deserves a chance to put up or shut up. We all deserve a chance to prove or redeem ourselves when we mess up. Okay, that is an excellent, excellent point. Uh, so perhaps he has learned his lessons, perhaps... Uh, he is a more mature person. Perhaps he uh, uh, has taken all of uh, the, the, the teaching and the mentoring and the uh, life-affirming experiences he's had with uh, Star Trek so far and will deliver a quality 50th anniversary experience for Trek fans old and new both. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> oh, I can't believe I got through that whole speech. Eldarian79 wrote in, said, First of all, while Orsi and Kurtzman got writing credits for Transformers 2, but their script was heavily rewritten by Bay and Aaron Kruger due to the SAG strike. Secondly, Orsi made the mistake of actually talking to the fans in and on the internet. While the majority of us are normal people, there are those rabid, hateful, rose-colored fans who will hunt the internet for anyone or any topic they feel personally attacks them, and so they will attack with little or no humanity. Thirdly, Into Darkness was not a remake of Wrath of Khan. Into Darkness was based on a Star Trek novel called Dreadnought, with elements of Wrath of Khan placed into the movie, specifically the last 40 minutes. I am not making a Doom comment, and I am going to wait for the movie to come out. I personally do think the newer Trek movies are not as bad as some people make them out to be. I am hoping that the third movie goes into a new direction since the first two have already established that we are in a new Trek universe, so show us the new Trek universe. Okay, here's what I want to say about this since I wasn't here last week. I agree. I don't think they're as bad as everybody says, but there's definitely a formula that they've been using that they need to drop it, okay? There's a bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, there's a bad guy. Bad guy has a big huge ship that's twice as big as ours because every bad guy seems to have a big huge ship that's twice as big as the Enterprise why is it the Enterprise is the new bitch ship of the series it's the hero ship for crying out loud in every movie they like tripled the size of the thing from the original series to this new universe it's like 40 times as big as the old Enterprise and now the bad guys have ships that are 6 times bigger than right, that and it's what? still a midget and, and it gets its ass kicked every movie like completely tore apart one would they say that's bad piloting well, the, okay, the ship's been torn up. The ship's been torn up twice, right? Okay, and which gives them two. They've had two great opportunities 
to do the first renovation of the ship, okay? To, 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 to give it a refit and give us like the more sleek nacelles instead of the rounded ones, you know, to kind of start doing the old movie update that they did with the last one and bringing in the Enterprise A's. They've missed two opportunities to do that. They changed the impulse engines at the very end of the last Star Trek. Well then, well, I take back everything I said. If you blink, you miss it. But they did. They updated. She's 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 brand spanking new, James. Yeah, well, got the new impulse. They need to bring her back. She needs to have a nice full refit. She needs to look new. She needs to look sexy, and she needs to do some butt kicking in this next movie instead of getting her butt kicked all over the place. They need to make her the hero ship that she was. She has been shamed the last two movies. I'm sorry, but she has been shamed. The only thing that the Enterprise has shown in the last two movies. This is the only thing it's shown. Survivability. Survivability. That's the only thing that ship has shown. It's shown no butt-kicking ability at all. And I actually, I've read the Dreadnought novel, and I suppose, yeah, the broad outlines basically are stolen. I mean, just basically lifted from that novel. But the main character of that novel was a, basically, a, it's like, a, she was like a, like a Savick character. She was a captaincy candidate. Uh, she was, she was somebody that had been tapped by command for, um, you know, like to to go onto the, the the fast track for her own starship command. That was the main character of that novel, and Kirk and Spock and those guys were basically supporting characters in that novel. And that was interesting. It was refreshing. It was kind of cool. I mean, it really was kind of a, a cool thing to do. Gee whiz! If only they could have taken that part, <laughs> you know, the cool and refreshing new angle, uh, rather than stealing from a novel and stealing from Wrath of Khan and trying to mush the two stolen things together. That would be in both the first movie. They had new technology from the future that they could have incorporated into the ship for the refit for the second one. And now, again, we have the big old super dreadnought that that the Admiral had, which had newer, sleeker-looking nacelles and stuff, you know, by the way, I noticed, and had advanced warp drive, weaponry, and more. So, and that's all, you know, that's all uh, Starfleet-owned. So... It's not like they have to steal that technology from a bad guy. That the, it's, it should be in Starfleet files somewhere. It's the Admirals, right? Okay, so well, but no, it's in Section Thirty One. It file. doesn't matter. All of that stuff should be put into the new refit ship, and we should be seeing all kinds of coolness out of the Enterprise in this next movie. And if we don't, I'm gonna be done with the series, the new series. You're making the assumption that the Starfleet of the future is about openness and technological advancement and the cooperation of the human race. I mean, come on, <laughs> what, what Star Trek are you watching? That's true. <laughs> crazy guy. You big nut. Okay, so I'm coming off my soapbox. Joe replied on PriorityOne.com, In response to the fan rage regarding Orsi directing, I think it's appropriate to quote the TOS episode Changeling in The Computer Nomad. Non sequitur. Your facts are uncoordinated. In the end, Orsi is the studio's choice. He may be a complete novice, or he may have more experience than we are aware of. Abrams may have been grooming him on the Trek sets, for all we know. The bottom line is you're making a lot of assumptions backed up by things that don't speak to the man's abilities. The only thing you can comment on with any real evidence to back it up is his writing, and that wasn't even touched on. My advice, dial down the fan rage and wait to see if the guy can carry the water. Until then, you're just assuming the worst based on groundless accusations. Well, okay, but I'll stand by it. Well, I wouldn't say it's groundless. Maybe groundless against the man personally, but not necessarily against the series. The series has a history. And we're basing it on that history. So, true, it might be groundless against the man, but not against what they've done. There's a lot of arrows that, that point all in the same direction, and that's not really a good direction. There are some arrows that point the other direction, too, but uh, just starting to feel like they're outweighed. Statistically speaking, you don't dump a guy who has never directed anything before into directing a tentpole franchise summer blockbuster uh, with you know an eight or nine-digit is it nine digits? It'll be a nine-digit, uh, you know, budget. Uh, so that's just not a real good idea, generally speaking. Maybe he's a genius. Maybe he's got all kinds of people in the background guiding him. Maybe his name's going on the front of it, but there's a crack team at Bad Robot that's going to, you know, back him up. Perhaps. You bet. Sure. Could be. Well, great. So that means Abrams is still directing it then. Oh, that's... See... Oh, man. See, thank you, Skippy, for bringing out the nightmare scenario, because... Orsi, you know, Abrams is hip deep in Star Wars. That's where he always wanted to be anyway. So he's over there doing Star Wars. And now Orsi's going to be calling him up going, hey, you know, I got this scene with Uhura and Kirk, and they're doing this thing, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm wondering if I should do it. Abrams will be like, put him in a Wookiee suit and uh, run him past a stormtrooper and then um, have have uh, the droid get their head shot. Uh, call me back when you get it done. 
And mhall 85 writes in via the Stowe forums, I wanted to share my thoughts on the Orsi Star Trek 3 debate. I know they're probably very unpopular. I like the Abrams films a lot. It got me back into Trek. I know that it introduced Trek to people that never would have given it a second thought because it did that with a number of my friends. I won't try to convince anyone to like or not like the JJ verse. I don't think that's what Elijah and Tony were trying to do with their response. Feel free to like what you want. Allow me to be a devil's advocate. I do think it's premature to deem Orsi a failure before a single frame has been filmed or a single detail released. Abrams is still producing the film, so I'm sure he'll have his hands in the process. Basically, like I was just saying. Also, Kurtzman and Lindelof are not co-writing the film. That could fundamentally change the way the films turn out right there. And yes, Kurtzman co-wrote Transformers 2 with Orsi and Aaron Kruger. Orsi seems like a big fan of Trek. The mentioned interview on Mission Log is a great look at the guy and worth checking out. Is Orsi a slam dunk? Absolutely not. Could it be a dud? Yes. But a debacle? In 2014, a good 24 to 36 months before the film releases? I say, wait and see. Well, for one thing, it better be 24 months if they're going to make it in time for a, uh, 20, a 50th anniversary show. So, better better be quick. N- not, nothing wrong with this having this debate. The problem is we're having this debate instead of, golly, I wonder what they're going to do with the plot. I wonder who the bad guy's going to be. Ooh, I'm so excited to see who, what actor they're going to bring in to be the supporting cast. I mean, there was a lot of anticipation from that very first little tease we got of the shipyard back in, like, was it late 2007 we got that tease? Onyx Heart One wrote in, As far as disrespecting Star Trek fans, more like the other way around. Star Trek fans have been vitriolic and verbally abusive towards anyone they don't consider good enough, or who doesn't like certain parts of the fandom as zealously as they do. These are kind of the fans that Orsi has been dealing with, and Abrams before him. They are the ones who are disrespectful. Did he handle it badly? Yeah, he did, but everyone has their breaking point, for sure. Uh, I, for one, am optimistic about the Orsi movie. I liked both of the new Trek movies, and they were very entertaining. Even if some of the stuff wasn't exactly like the Trek of old, Spock would quote the idiot, I'm not that logical, so I'll say change happens, deal with it. Fair enough. Uh, still... I think a public figure has a a higher level of responsibility. I mean, he's basically the face of the studio, the company, the production, and the movie. And, you know, just flip out on somebody is totally unprofessional. I mean, I wouldn't put up with that when I was a manager of people in fellow managers. Like, so why is it okay for him to do it? He shouldn't even be on the forums. I mean, and I guess he apologized for, for even doing it at all. But anyway... Arnjitis wrote via the STO forums. Can't agree with y'all on this one, guys. I absolutely loved Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Is he trolling I us? I think we may anybody have a new love, troll. I think we... Because I don't know anybody who absolutely loved Revenge of the Fallen. I don't know anybody that loved Although, you know, it does have additional relevance because of the Leonard Nimoy voicing. Oh. <laughs> no, Leonard Nimoy was in the, the third one, not the second one. We'll go here anyway. That was another ripping my childhood to shreds moment because Leonard Nimoy was Galvatron in the original Transformers animated movie and that was you know it wasn't a great movie by any stretch of the imagination it was a 1980s you know animation film but it was a big part of my childhood there's another one and then they do the twisty you know the big twist at the end where Leonard Nimoy is the bad guy and it's like ah, really guys he even quoted the needs of the many and all that I mean they kind of abused it, yeah. And when the little robots were watching Star Trek on TV, and they're like, oh, I remember this once where Spock lost his brain or whatever. Like, they, they, they teased it too much. Also, Sean Newboy replied on PriorityOne.com, Wonderful show. Thanks to Fleet Admiral Valor for joining in. As to Star Trek Three, I'll wait and see. Not encouraged, though. Ben Churchill replied on PriorityOne.com, To be honest, as far as the story goes in this reboot or whatever you want to call it, damage is done. I mean, we've had too many plot holes and broken Trek lore in the first two. It'll be hard to write a story, let alone direct one, that can write these wrongs. Unless Orsi uses the Dallas Dream Year. Oh my god, it was all in our minds. The new Trek films had so much potential. All they had to do was research to make sure they were telling a true Star Trek story, not breezing over the lore just to create something flashy. For sure they want to go after the blockbuster returns, but they still could have done it and stayed true to Trek. So all in all, whether I like Orsi or not, He's in a difficult position to get anything right now that Jar Jar Abrams has borrowed the Star Trek films and brought them back all wrecked. But like Tony, I'll pay him my 16 bucks. it's expensive here in Australia, to go and see it at the cinema, then probably have a rant about why they made Andorians purple or something. Purple just shows up better with the lens flares. The lens flare washes out the blue, but you know, it accents the purple. Bertolf says, Oh God, why did you have to mention Transformers 2? Anticipating what Orsi is going to do to our IP is like, 
playing Kiss or Dare with a Jurassic Park Velociraptor. I'm terrified, <laughs> but he does know a lot about a track. Thank Kirk for things like Axanar. Renegades looks good too, but oh my god, how epic does Prelude to Axanar look already? Saw a picture of Richard Hatch in his costume for it last week with this funky KDF communicator thing and almost passed out from my geekasm. Yeah, I have to say that that's spot on. Uh, I, I backed Axanar and uh, you know we've been covering it quite a bit on the podcast here and getting some Battlestar Galactica alums together to do this, uh, people that you know can already you know carry their water as far as acting goes. Uh, and you know, getting the pre-production stuff, some of the photos they're sharing on that. I've got a lot of, I'm pinning a lot of hopes on Axanar for being a real Trek story that they can continue to, to do. So really seems like they're on the right road with it. This is the prequel we should have had instead of how they started off Enterprise with the whole, uh, you know, time war thing. Adam Lejeune replied on PriorityOne.com. My first instinct is wait and see. However, after seeing what those monsters did to the greatest Star Trek villain ever in Star Trek Into Darkness, and considering Orsi's active hatred of Star Trek fans, I am beginning to think Tommy Wiseau would be a better choice. Personally, I want Jonathan Frakes in charge with Greg Cox to write the story. Ooh, such a good idea. Greg Cox, um, he did the novels The Eugenics Wars that sort of tried to explain or retcon why Khan could have a uh, eugenics war in the 1990s and get launched into space and you know we just sort of missed that whole thing those of us here alive in 2014 uh, and it, it's th- those were fun books and that if you want to if you want to have somebody who can merge some disparate universes into something that sort of kind of makes sense in a science fiction way I think Greg Cox could pull it off uh, but you know I Paramount doesn't pay me to run their studio for them, so I don't get to say. Santa Skyrat replies on Priority One, yes, Cookie, clever girl. Again, I feel this shows the difference between CBS and Paramount. Just saying. CBS still cares and wants the gift to Orsi to do well. CBS <laughs> But it'll be an absolute disaster for sure. I changed my graphics again, like you guys said, but I still have that jump back thing happening. I go forward, then stop, then jump back a little bit. How do I fix that? Ah, Mr. Santa Skyrat, that is called rubber banding, and that has more to do with your network connection uh, than to your uh, graphics settings. So uh, look into your uh, streaming, if you're streaming music or a video in the background. Um, it could just be a bad connection to the server that has nothing to do with you. Uh, but that's rubber banding, and that's not graphics. Uh, our next piece of feedback comes from Woody Valley. Good day, mate. I've uh, been working with a lot of Australian customers at my... Uh new job we have customers from all over the world but uh, I've dealt with a lot of Aussies lately and I can tell you some of my job is flat out like a lizard drinking now if you're Australian you'll know that that means parts of my job are really hard but that's how an Aussie would say it flat out like a lizard drinking means it's hard I don't know why that means that but it does I learned that so there's to you Woody Woody says I would give Orsi a chance but since he can't handle the criticism as we know he would need to get it right both in story and direction. If he doesn't get it right, you won't see Orsi or Bad Robot doing any big budget or blockbuster films for a while. I wonder if R2-D2 makes an appearance <laughs> as Star Trek 3. Yeah, stupid question. Good show, guys, and Cookie. Yeah. Uh, he'll be there somewhere. He'll be serving drinks in the Star Trek bar or whatever. Uh, from a little different point of view, Seranser wrote via the STO forums, honestly, I just find it hard to care about New Trek 3 after the second movie. One of the core tenets of Star Trek has always been to aspire, as a species, as a people. The first J.J. Trek movie made a barely passable effort to capture that. It ended on the hope that Kirk would strive to be worthy of that command. In the second movie, though, he didn't become a better captain or grow as a person, and neither did the crew, really. It was the same petty squabbling between characters amid a tire and uncreative trope of the enemy within. Sure, it was flashy and entertaining as an action movie, but it didn't provoke thought or offer inspiration about who we are as a people and as a society. Who knows, perhaps we'll all be pleasantly surprised with Orsi Trek. However, the direction of the series has kind of been cast already, and I, for one, am not going to be holding my breath. As a Trekkie, I'm far more interested in seeing how Axanar turns out. Yeah, I didn't expect we got multiple votes for Axanar when we said Orsi or not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the write-in candidate. <laughs> and D. Desjardins writes in via the Star Trek Online forums, I think all the negativity is working in Orsi's favor. My expectations are so low at this point, anything could be an improvement over the crap Into Darkness was. Oh, 
Hmm, interesting. This is all a cleverly disguised PR campaign to set everyone's expectations so low that, uh, you know, uh, Attack of the Clones, you know, looks like a masterpiece compared to, ah, maybe. Hmm, clever. Each week, our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach out to us on Facebook.com slash Priority One Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Stowe Priority One or shoot us an email to incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 176 of Priority One Podcast, recorded live on, wait for it, guardfrequency.com slash live. Sort of a test thing last week and more of a training thing this week, but Elijah should be back to run the board next episode. And Tony can go back to his other show, whatever that is. (sighs) So much work, two podcasts. Man, it's tough, but, you know, somebody's got to do it. Remember, we usually record Thursday nights live on Trek Radio starting at about 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific. And you can subscribe by pointing your podcast catcher at feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for our community question in the comments section on our site or on the Stowe Forum post for this episode. Remember, this week's question is, what are your favorite active space duty officers? Are they the crack uber elite min-max squad? Or do they fit the flavor and backstory of your ship and crew? Tell us. Guys, gals, captains. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head on over to facebook.com slash priority one podcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at still priority one. Or you can even join the priority one podcast chat in game. Just type slash channel underscore join priority one. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. You can continue to support Priority One with real-world donations by helping us reach our monthly financial goals. We're all volunteers, and you can really help us out by chipping in just a little bit. And we'd love to see you at the Star Trek Las Vegas convention. So if you helped out with expenses and travel, that would be much appreciated. A very special thanks to everyone who has already contributed and who continues to do so on a recurring basis. Without your ongoing support, we would not be able to bring you the content you've come to enjoy from Priority One Podcast. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. It's a pretty good show. You should check it out. Oh, I agree. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle. And we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Skiffy, and our new audio assistant, Ben Churchill. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and Trek Radio. Special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the STO community, and our listeners. Without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Do you need to make some editing sounds? Nope, got it. Yeah, yeah there you go. Okay. There, lots of typing. Yes, thank you. There, it's so much better. There we go. Okay. <laughs> oh, Cookie also wanted us to, to talk about how the sandcastles make us feel. Uh, I don't know because... Each one is like a Warshack test. You have to look at it and tell them what you see. See, I told her that uh, I hate sand. It's so dry and gritty, and it oh, gets don't everywhere. You, no, don't you dare. <laughs> don't you dare. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. That's awful. I can't believe you just, man, you know what? That paycheck that you're not getting, I'm, I'm docking it by half. Are you going to tear <laughs> it up? Just for that. I de- oh, uh, you have getting good radio have- to make for me. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I've got, I've, I can, I can do this.
No. That's, the, that's your paycheck. That's right. That's your. It's impossible. Oh my god! If I. And available for download or streaming as of Monday, June second, two thousand fourteen, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. <laughs> See? See? Now, now, now it's priority. a show. Whoa. Now it's a show. Ah, okay, a little coffee. A little coffee will do it again. Uh, let's see. Oh, man. At PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Tony. I'm Jace. <laughs> it is definitely a show now. Yeah, or it's a show. Sorry, now. I was replying to Cookie. She asked oh. when we were going to be live. <laughs> right the disaster now. is happening as I type. The disaster is unfolding as we speak. Was it Abrams that said it? Solo? Go ahead and wrap us up, James. Try the buffet. I'll be here all week. Oh, not that wrap up?